Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is a story about two sisters, Jemima and Annabelle. We meet them as they're preparing to part. Jemima is planning to end her life through an assisted suicide, which is when medical professionals assist someone to take their own life. Assisted suicide often completely polarises people and it tends to be presented in moral opposites. But for the person making the decision and their family, it's anything but black and white. I'm Rebecca Lloyd-Evans and I'm a filmmaker and audio producer. Here in the UK, assisted dying is illegal... It's actually punishable by up to 14 years in prison. There have been bills put to Parliament, both Lords and Commons, to call for assisted dying to be made legal for terminally ill but mentally competent adults with less than six months to live. A bill was rejected in 2015, but debate has continued. There are so many complex and sensitive questions. Who should the choice be extended to? How can we ensure people won't abuse the system? And ultimately, who owns our life? And these are all important questions to ask. But in this documentary, I want to focus on a personal choice. Just two sisters. One who will leave, and one who will be left behind. I spent my childhood in Triada, my growing up years. I had my first kiss down here. I've had wild parties down here and I've had nice, quiet evenings down here. And that's why it was so important to me to come back to do this interview here. Before I became ill, I was a really active person. I sailed, played badminton, played tennis. I worked for a big city bank as a business analyst. I loved it. What else did I do? Unbelievable when you think that you're the one who's actually charged along beaches on horseback. You've done all sorts of lovely things. And some not so lovely things. Naughty things. Lots of things I'm jolly glad I didn't know about. Yeah. This is my sister Jemima, our mother Sally, and me, Annabelle. We're recording this in Wales where we spent so many happy times. My granny and grandpa even met here before the war. When I was about 24, I got made redundant and had enough money to travel. So I took off and went to Grand Cayman, where I worked on various different boats. Worked on the Jolly Roger as a wench, which I thoroughly enjoyed, much to the amusement of my family. (laughs) Then I worked for a dive company. Diving was my life. 
was just the most phenomenal experience that you've ever can possibly imagine. Being underwater like that, being able to be one with the fish and the reefs and seeing what was going on and just being there and being a part of it. It was a phenomenal experience and I loved it. Jemima wanted to record her story so that we could tell it when she had gone. So we did that over two days during her last couple of months. It was amazing to look back on her life, share our memories and reflect on things that have happened. It's a really special thing to have captured Jemima talking about those moments. I've been ill for approximately 17 years. I was diagnosed with MS and eventually I ended up housebound and then bedbound. About three years ago, I was diagnosed with osteoporosis, um, which is a consequence of being bedbound. I also have fibromyalgia, ME and blepharitis and a collection of other more minor ailments. In 2003, I was catheterised um, because my bladder stopped working thanks to the MS and my bowels don't work properly. Um, and then shortly after that, I was moved to a suprapubic catheter, which is one that goes in through my tummy and straight into my bladder. We wash my hair maybe once every two weeks or so. It's not because I don't want to, it's because of the effort that's involved in doing it. I have to take additional pills, and those additional pills have side effects. I can't sleep, or I take sleeping pills in order to counteract them. It's all a horrible, horrible process. Jemima had a very complex medical situation, a lot of autoimmune diseases compounding each other. She was in constant pain. She had all sorts of symptoms, but most of them were unseen, which is why it was so difficult to diagnose. Jemima always tried to be upbeat when friends came to visit. She loved hearing what everybody was up to. But she didn't want to drag people down with too much talk of her illnesses, and often they would leave, not really understanding the reality of her life or realising how terrible she was feeling. Then recently, about two years ago, I started to get a tremor in my hands and my body, which really triggered my worry levels to think, what could the next thing be? MS can cause many really nasty things, such as your sight going or paralysis. And as I have relapsing progressive MS, it means I don't recover from them. So unlike people with relapsing remitting MS, where they have the steroids and then recover either fully or partially, I don't recover at all. It's very, very difficult to meet people, either as friends or as boyfriends. And I haven't had sex, for example, since 2000. I can't imagine not having a boyfriend for 17 years. Loving someone and being loved is such a massive part of life. In making a decision to go to Dignitas for an assisted death, Jay had to decide what quality of life meant for her and when that wasn't enough. That's a decision only she could take. But a lot's happened since then. Reporting live from uh, Clapham, how am I sound? That's producer Rebecca when she came to visit me at home whilst we were making the documentary. Yes, I think we were really lucky that um, we were able to record Jay before she died. Um, the interesting thing, though, is that it's actually on one particular day, although, in fact, we recorded over two days. So over those two days, what was in her mind? And I don't think she'd done much preparation before we did the recordings. And therefore, having not pre-thought it, 
I think it was just in her, how she was in the moment. But I guess the thing about recording something is it suddenly then becomes like the truth, like something being written down or it becomes history. Jemima's reality in that day might not necessarily be sometimes the way that I'd remembered things to happen. I sometimes remember things slightly differently. You know, Jemima talks about being active in the um, in the recording, in the tape. But actually, I remember her quite differently. You know, so when we were younger, for example, you know, she was a massive bookworm. She read 10 plus books a week. So it wasn't just, you know, action-packed world that Jemima lived in. Do you think there's something about needing to write stories that help us with the decisions that we're going to make or help us to be able to live with ourselves somehow? I suppose in, in the way that Jemima was portraying her activity, if, we, if we're using that as an example, she was probably thinking that that's what she lost in her years of illness. She could continue to read and, you know, do embroidery or do sort of quiet things from her bed. What she probably missed the most was the activity. So that's probably why it was at the forefront of her mind. So rather than rewriting history, she was probably thinking about what she lost most and what she was saddest about, probably. If you look back at how she was when she was younger, uh, I was talking to my mum about this the other day, actually, and um, she reminded me that, you know, Jay lost her virginity. Uh, I was having this party in a really slightly grim village hall and um, Jemima lost her virginity in the graveyard next door with some goth bloke. So, um, you know, she was quite rebellious when she was younger and loved living life. Jay lost so much during the time she was ill. The tape we recorded is full of that sense of loss. The lack of control over her own life and her own body was difficult for Jemima and the constant pain was emotionally and physically draining. She feared uncontrollable pain and the unpredictable nature of her degenerative diseases. On two occasions, Jemima tried to take her own life. I've attempted suicide twice since I've been ill. The first time was in the very early days. The doctor told me to give up my life and go home and live with my parents for four years and hope that I got better, saying along the way that a lot of people didn't get better from it. It was the last thing I wanted to do, having led a very full life in London. And I tried to kill myself at that point, but woke up the next morning to find myself still alive. And then I had to phone my family, who had been given keys and letters and things through the post, and tell them that I was still alive and that those keys were coming, um, which was a really hard thing to do, especially as I wanted to be dead. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I think Jay thought about it from her own perspective and hadn't really considered the consequences on other people. And that's probably an easier way to go into suicide rather than worrying about the people that will be left behind. But she really hadn't considered that. So um, she did send keys in the post to my mum. So she, she would have had to have called my mum to let her know that that had happened. But actually... Um, I'd been round the night before to pick up the keys and um, you know it made sense she'd lived around the corner and if she'd lost her keys I sort of understood why she would want me to have a set of keys but when I then found out not only was it really distressing um, but I was also really mixed about it I felt really angry because I felt like she'd wanted me to find her and I can't imagine ever wanting to put that on her you know, walking into her house and finding her dead on the floor or whatever. I mean, it made me feel really angry that she would put me in that position. 
but that's the mixture of of suicide it's it's not just what she wanted and what she was doing it's the consequence on other people and it felt really mean about four years ago i attempted suicide again i'd reached desperation with the pain stakes the more painkillers you take the more you become accustomed to them the less they work and i was gradually working my way up through the pain scales and working my way up from one drug to another drug and realizing that I was going to reach a point where there were no drugs that worked. And I just couldn't face it. I couldn't face it any longer. I didn't want to be in pain any longer. And I tried to take my life again. The next time my mother called me to say that Jay had tried to take her own life, I was completely shaken. Jay had been talking about Dignitas on and off for many years, so it was really confusing that she tried to do it at home, alone, and without saying goodbye just didn't make sense to me. As I sat by Jemima's bedside in the hospital, she said that even the thought of planning and travelling to go to Switzerland had been overwhelming for her. The doctor who was bound by her do-not-resuscitate order was saying that the dose of pills she had taken wasn't fatal, but would be likely to cause the critical damage to her liver and kidneys. On top of all her other illnesses, that was a pretty bleak moment. I think it was then that she began to seriously re-evaluate her decisions. Hello? Yes. Yes, please, if that's all right. Well, I wasn't sure whether I gave you a date or you gave me a date. Well, how about anything from the last week of June onwards? Week commencing 26th of June? That's fine. Week commencing the 3rd of July. Well, thank you very much for your time. It's unusual. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Could you not hear? I've got a date. Dignitas say they offer things like counselling, suicide prevention and advice about end-of-life decisions. But what it's best known for is its assisted suicide clinic in Switzerland. So as as soon as... um, you know, I found out it was the year that Jemima was going to go to Dignitas. You immediately start deeply grieving. As soon as you know somebody might, you know, do not resuscitate in place or that they've been talking about Dignitas, you're grieving in a way. And I, I talked to my mum about it and I suppose we both believe we've been grieving for 17 years, you know, since Jay was ill. Um, but I think by the at the point where you know it's going to be that year, there's a sort of a broad time frame that's um, suddenly on your horizon. And that's really difficult because you're grieving for someone, but they're actually there. And in Jay's world, she was as happy as I've seen her in many, many years. She was so content that she'd made that decision and that she was going to have an end to the ongoing pain. It was a very odd time where you're just um, dealing with intense grief, but trying trying to make her last moments happy, her last months happy. Very confusing. It's just over two years since Jemima died. I told her before we went to Switzerland that I would share her story and campaign to change the current assisted dying laws. I know that she'd have been gobsmacked to hear that two MPs on different sides of the house had used her story as an example of how the existing law is failing people. I'm an advocate for law change, for mentally competent adults with life-limiting illnesses to have choice at the end of life. I say life-limiting because Jemima's illnesses weren't terminal. 
So even if the law does change to make assisted dying available for people with less than six months to live, then it still wouldn't apply to Jay. And of course I think that the changes have to be coupled with improvements in investment in palliative care, and it's fundamental to have robust safeguards to protect vulnerable people. End of life isn't simple. There are no easy decisions, especially when it's out of your control, and it's what your sister wants more than anything. Many years ago now, I called off a wedding and then got made redundant and ended up seriously depressed. So I know what the feeling feels like. It's a black cloud that hangs over you that you can't shift away from. And my feelings at the moment are anything but that. I feel so overjoyed that, in fact, I'm going to get a release from the pain. I feel relieved that I'm not going to have to go through blindness. I'd be lost and I'd be stuck in my own world. And that's always terrified me. And knowing that I'm going to Switzerland and that I won't have to face that has been a huge relief to me. Well, you said to me that you felt as if a cloud had been taken off your shoulders, yeah. didn't you? Having made the decision. And I understand. It's not that I don't understand, darling. It's just I don't like it. I'm not expecting you to like it. Really not. No, I know. That's sort of how I feel, which is... Um, if this is really what you want... I accept your decision and understand where it comes from. But, you know, it's never going to feel right for me that, you know, you're not here. That, that would be impossible. So, I mean, I'd have you here in all sorts of pain. And there, you see, you're smiling away in the middle, quite happy with your decision. And look at the two of us. <laughs> and maybe we're being just incredibly selfish. No, because you, you have to look after yourself. Your... And looking after yourself yeah. is grieving. I know all that. And in a way, if I was in your position, I might take the same decision. Who knows? You never, never know how you would feel. And I wouldn't want to have to be thinking of getting worse and being more dependent on nurses and doctors and, and not having the quality of life I wanted. Mm -hmm. So I understand. But in practice, you're my daughter. Yeah. It's really tough to support somebody who wants to die when actually you don't want that. You know, from an intellectual perspective, it's easy to understand why someone might not want to live their life because they're unwell and have been unwell for such a long period of time, they're in constant pain. Intellectually, I understand that. But when it's your sister, it's a completely different thing. And actually, I'd rather she was alive and here. So I sort of understood what she was doing and I support her from that, you know, supported her from that perspective. But it's still very difficult to handle when um, actually all you really want is your sister with you. How do you feel that you try to perhaps avoid those conversations on reflection? I think it's really hard to be talking about suicide and death on an ongoing basis. It I think I probably was trying to protect myself, you know, from it all. And it's very easy to get dragged down. Um, I, so, for example, I remember the first time that I'd found out that Jemima had a do not resuscitate put in place. And that, for me, was the first time that I kind of recognised the fact that she could at any point be called into hospital and not resuscitated. And that's pretty tough. And that was probably, you know... Five, five or six years into her illness, maybe even earlier than that, actually. So there were kind of triggers all the way through. And it's really hard to kind of balance someone's need to talk about their 
desire to not live the life that they're living and your need to kind of carry on and have a life you know not to get too depressed about it if I'm being brutal um, and I don't think I ever quite got that balance right I don't think I I, I, I erred on the side of look, protecting myself than you know looking after Jay so I, I think I did back off from the situation a lot through that time because I, I just couldn't cope with it all the time retrospectively I can't do anything about any of that and in fact I t- probably tried to do as much as I could at the time um, it was just really tough I don't think it's it's easy to get that balance right. As a family, we know more than most that assisted dying is a really complicated issue for everyone. But I'm hopeful that there will be change. Public opinion is strongly in favour of adjusting the law under certain circumstances. The medical community seems to be engaging in the debate. The Royal College of Physicians has recently changed from being opposed to a neutral stance and the British Medical Association, which is currently opposed, will be polling its members later this year. But Parliament remains slow. It might just be worth explaining what Dignitas is and what it represents. It's an organisation based in Switzerland where you can go to have an assisted suicide. You have to qualify. It costs about £10,000 in total to do. And it's not possible for everybody because of that. There are other places in the world where an assisted suicide is possible, but Switzerland has the most relaxed laws, and therefore, as an expat, you can go there and have an assisted suicide. Even doing the paperwork for Dignitas is a real feat of endurance. You have to write a letter saying that you want to die and explaining the reasons why you want to die, which is terribly emotional. You have to get letters from your doctor without your doctor knowing why he's writing the letters. You have to get a copy of your birth certificate. You have to get a copy of your dental records, again, without anybody knowing why. You have to get what's called an affidavit saying where you live. And several of the documents have to go off to the Foreign and Commonwealth Office and have an apostille, which is a further stamp. As part of the Dignitas procession of documents, you have to say that you're of sound mind. And in fact, you have to meet a doctor twice while you're over there for them to check things like that and to make sure that you are who you say you are and that you've got the illnesses you say you've got and to make sure that you absolutely do want to die. Jay had many, many sleepless nights worrying about the details of how to get to Dignitas without implicating us in her decision. It would have been illegal for us to provide support, assistance or advice to Jay as she prepared to go, and this would have included helping to plan or pay for the journey. Maintaining the secrecy surrounding her plans was so important to Jemima because she was terrified that someone would stop her from going. So when the authorities found out she was planning to go to Dignitas, it got very serious, very fast. So as soon as you told your care agency? They told social services. We started off with the funding social services. They then notified the safeguarding social services, which was the second lot that came out, who asked some ridiculous questions. One of them was, do you understand the consequences of your decision? What did he say? Do you think I'm fucking stupid? (laughs) Did you you really? (laughs) Yeah. Someone, at some point, has notified the police because they turned up on your door. Social services did. They hadn't called you to let you know they were coming? No. 
Did that explain why they were there? They said they'd been called by the safeguarding team at social services to inform them of what I was doing, and they were doing a pre-investigation. And they were then asking questions about what I was doing, who I was going with, which I refused to answer, um, whether I was being coerced, whether there was money involved, um, all sorts of things like that. Money involved, what people, what, bribing you to go? No, me leaving money behind. Oh, right. How did you find it? Was it intrusive? No, they were very good, actually. So why did you feel the need not to be honest with them? Because I didn't feel that I wanted to give them things like my flight number or who was travelling with me or there were several things I refused to answer on the basis that I didn't want you lot being questioned ahead of time. The kindness, if you like, about this is that we can be with you. And so miserable and lonely if you'd had to do this on your own somewhere, be in agony on your own. And I wouldn't wish that on you at all. We've been with you all your life. We can be with you if that's what you really, really want. And I can understand where you're coming from then. Of course we should be with you. You can hear it in the tape, the emotion my mum and I were feeling through that point. And in fact, Jay rarely cried, but she does cry a bit in, in the recording. And I think whether that's part of it was sort of um, guilt, maybe, that we was, you know, it, it, she'd put us through what she was putting us through. Um, you know, Jemima's natural mental way of sort of thinking things through is from her own perspective. And I think she wasn't brilliant at putting herself in other people's shoes, which in some ways made her decision to go to Dignitas a bit easier because she wasn't thinking about the consequences on other people she was thinking about what she wanted to do and that's probably right but there are natural consequences to what she was doing on other people around her and I think through those months when we were recording it became really clear to her the impact that she was having on not just us as a close family but when we did start telling a few other people the consequences on them I think it was obvious for her to see. You know, I've sort of felt like it's been a bit thrust down my throat for a decade. And I've been trying to put my head in the sand and every now and again I've popped up, blubbed, you know, felt sad. You know, and then tried to tuck, tuck my head back in the sand. And I've, I think I've done quite well at it. Actually, I've, I'm, a good, I'm a good head in the sand girl. But when you did call, when you eventually called and said she's definitely decided, I was just torn apart. It's the reality striking that she's really going to do it. Mm-hmm. I had to bring my, my head out of the sand. And you can go like two or three days without weeping. Because you just feel so numb. It just feels so completely surreal that this time next week, you won't, you know, you won't be around. It's like, just, it's impossible to understand. You can't accept the reality of that. You protect yourself by not being able to actually see that. It would break you to pieces. That's why you get this feeling of being outside the whole thing. And however long I might have accepted that at some stage this would happen, there's always there's still that bit that you think, well, it might not. No, and, and really, please don't think in any way that you can't change your mind. But it's things like I've been having trouble with my swallow for years. 
Why is that so funny? Judging. Oh, no. At night, late at night, if I'm eating from my goodie box, quite often no, I have. First follow. Come back there. to me. Oh, late at night. That's sister talk. <laughs> Gets worse. Late at night, if I'm eating, quite often I have to wash food down with drink because I can't swallow it. And if my swallow goes, that's pneumonia. I don't want to die like that. I remember that moment so well. The conversations with Jemima and my mother over the final few months of her life evoked so many different emotions, mixing hilarious laughter with desperate sadness. Since I made the decision and the final pieces came falling into place, we've gathered as a family to do many things that have been things that I wouldn't normally have done. I've used tablets in ways that I shouldn't have done. Um, but I've had a fantastic time doing it. I've had the chance to say goodbye to people this time, which I haven't had before. A couple of nights ago, we had a fish and chip party on the patio. We had a really warm day, and we spent the evening drinking champagne and rosé and had a fabulous time. All things I'm not supposed to be doing, but at the moment, it's a sod it, basically. Why not? And we sat outside until two o'clock in the morning, looking at the stars and just chatting and chilling. Amazing. But there was nothing that was going to change her mind. If it wasn't for the laws in this country, I wouldn't be going now. If I knew I was able to have an assisted death here, I would wait until something happened and then have an assisted death. Mm -hmm. It sort of feels like this. They're stealing part of your life. They're stealing years off your life. Whenever we've talked about um, Dignitas over the years, I'd never thought that I would see you so full of life at the point when you went. But the travel is going to be a challenge as it stands. If I was any worse, I wouldn't be able to. It's really hard to see someone who you adore deciding to take their own life way earlier, so you lose out years of someone's life. Mm because there's a law in place that prevents you to be able to do it nearer to home. That's just... Or even at home. Yeah. It can't be right to be outsourcing death to Europe. I strongly believe the assisted dying laws in the UK are just not working. I think Jay should have been able to have an assisted death in the comfort of her own home, with her family around her and at a time of her choosing but that just isn't what happened. My family and I travelled to Dignitas with Jemima. In the previous 17 years, the furthest Jemima had travelled was two hours in the car, which she needed to do with additional drugs to try and dampen the pain. Imagine amplifying that pain to be able to travel to the airport, wait around for a flight to Zurich, and then taxi to the hotel at the other end. The journey itself was pain-filled and exhausting for her. It was so hard to watch. Dignitas itself is on an industrial estate about an hour from Zurich by car. The nurses were amazing and they'd done what they could to make the room comfortable. We were even able to play Adele in the background. But in all honesty, it was a soulless and cold place to die. Even today as the rawness of seeing her die is fading slightly, one of my lasting recollections is that we left Jemima's body there, in that room, on a little industrial estate on the outskirts of Zurich, such a long way from home. 
it really felt like we were deserting her. I wanted Jay to have my mother and I by her side forever, so I gave her a scarf which had a lovely black and white photo of us created into a pattern and printed onto the fabric. She asked for it to be cremated with her. I've always known in my heart of hearts that this was going to happen, but it doesn't make it the slightest bit easier. Not the slightest bit. Everywhere along the line, we've all made the best decisions possible. And that's what you've got to remember. And I don't want you to have regrets. I really don't. I do know now that you're happy with your decision. Mm. You've had plenty of time to think about it and talk about it and talk about it with other people. And I know you're happy there. So really, we're being very selfish in some ways, but I'm going to miss you. My sister Jemima Dixon died at the age of 46 on the 5th of July 2017. The decision to die that day was hers. Jemima was presented by her sister, Annabelle Dixon. The conversations between Jemima and her family were recorded by Peter Roach, Annabelle's husband. It was produced by me, Rebecca Lloyd-Evans, and Max Sanderson, with sound design and music composition by Pascal Wise. The executive producer is Catherine Godfrey, and it was commissioned by Mustafa Khalili. In the UK and Ireland, Samaritans can be contacted on 116123 or email joe at samaritans.org or joe at ie. In the US, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255. In Australia, the Crisis Support Service Lifeline is 131114. Other international helplines can be found at www.befrienders.org. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.